Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Long with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us. Over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. Later on the show, I'll take the position that today, Monday, as we're recording, is the day the Astros World Series hopes died. How's that for a tease? But first, Sean, since I know few people were as down on the Rockets as you were the last couple of years, where's your enthusiasm level after free agency? Very enthusiastic, to be honest with you. I like I like what they did. Um, I think they got a couple of guys in Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks that epitomize the type of culture that Ime Adoka wants to have with the ball club from a basketball sense, from a professionalism sense as well. I know people feel a certain way about Dylan Brooks. I was, I had to kind of convince myself otherwise and really look at it um, and, and understand, you know, that from a basketball perspective, he makes a lot of sense for where the ball club is right now. And he's the best guy on the market, I think, to fill a major void for the Rockets defensively from a toughness standpoint. But I like I like how they just got smarter. They got a good basketball IQ guy in in Fred Van Vliet. They got good professional guys in in Fred Van Vliet and the Jeff Green signing. And really, for that matter, Jock Lawndale. You know, he's 27 years old, but his career's been kind of interesting. Pretty good college player, went overseas, played some balls, got that experience. He's been with a lot of guys that couldn't make it, that are trying to make it. And he was regarded as, you know, a a, a really smart player, a guy that was good in the locker room, good on the court with his teammates. And I think that's exactly what the Rockets need more of. They still have three roster spots to fill, and they may not be household names, but I think they're going to be more of those good culture fit kind of locker room guys to get in. Maybe somebody that's going to push some of the younger guys for some playing time at some point. But overall, the ones they did get in-house over the course of this free agent flurry, I don't know that the Rockets really could have done much better and executed their plan. Maybe if they would have been able to get Brooke Lopez, but I think he probably cost a little bit too much for what they wanted to spend at that position for a 35-year-old center. Yeah, the Lopez deal, I mean, for a lot of Rockets fans, they were upset because that was maybe the deal they were most excited about because Brooke Lopez's defense is, you know, he's a, he's basically a, a defensive player of the year candidate at 35 years old, which is pretty amazing. And he, he just doesn't seem to lose this step. So I think that was a big deal for the Rockets. But you mentioned Dylan Brooks. And when I had Frank from Rockets Shop Shop on in our last show, and by the way, thanks for everybody who listened, over 6,000 views so far on that show. I explained why I thought it was ridiculous, why the fan base was panicking over his contract. Well, Sean, it wasn't just the fan base. Every national NBA analyst, they've been crapping on it too. I'm like listening to all these podcasts and, all these shows, and it's dumbfounding because we also know now that the contract is going to descend from year to year. And I didn't think paying 20 a year for one of the top three man-to-man defensive players in his prime, age 27 years old, I didn't think that was ridiculous. And can I give you some stats, Sean, from just last year? Yeah. He matched up in the half-court defensively 922 times 
uh, versus this year's All-Stars the most of any player. And I posted this on Twitter. I noticed your brother posted it just a couple of hours later. He held those guys to a 45.7% effective field goal percentage, which was first among the 72 players to record at least 400 of those matchups. He's not just elite. He's elite against the elite defensively. He was on the All-NBA defensive second team, but it's more than the numbers, Sean. Listen to what his coach Taylor Jenkins said about him. He said, we need him. He's a competitor in everything he does on the basketball floor, in the training room, in our shooting games, pregame workouts, how he dresses for the game. It's all that. It's all a competitive undertone, quote unquote. And according to an ESPN story, Sean, he spends four hours before every single game studying his offensive opponent, tendencies, tells, moods, all of that. It's an effort and attention to detail that has to rub off on the Rockets players, not to mention that toughness and relentlessness night in and night out, Sean. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are all things that I'm really not it, – it's a lot more interesting to listen to the card facts. The stats are very, very interesting. They should make feel really good about the type of player that the Rockets got in Dylan Brooks. Look, what doesn't sit well with a lot of people, didn't sit well with me, is the way that he handled himself this past postseason, you know, with LeBron James. I, I've kind of convinced myself that this is a guy who is so confident in his own game that he feels the confidence to be able to play the mental game as well. Well, it didn't work with LeBron James. It was the epitome of talking your smack but not being able to back it up with your play. His play, his shooting, it, it suffered. His team suffered in part because of it. But at the same time, I do appreciate, you know, that that toughness and that ability to kind of, you know, play that next level game. It didn't work in that situation. And I have to think that Ime Adoka is probably going to help him reel that in a little bit. Sure. And maybe set a different tone, a different culture with this squad. I also have to believe that Taylor Jenkins – while a really good coach for the Grizzlies, there's clearly a culture issue there. And mm -hmm. if we're going to question managers and NFL head coaches for losing locker rooms, not being able to completely reel one in, I think you have to do the same thing with a lot of the distractions that were going on with John Morant. And who knows what else maybe transpired uh, at any given point, especially in the postseason with the extra attention that Dylan Brooks was bringing to the team with his antics and smack talk against LeBron James and the Lakers. And when you're not able as a coach to reel that in, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. I mean, it can just explode and get away from you. And maybe that happened with Jenkins. Maybe they're giving him another chance to, to kind of get the right pieces for him in Memphis. But that's not our concern. My concern is with Dylan Brooks, a guy that Ime maybe has a little bit tougher time reeling in, that got a massive payday, that maybe is a little bit more difficult to control than anticipated. That's my fear. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't know. It's a different role for Dylan. But it's also one that I think he, like Van Vliet, a 27-year-old in Brooks, 29-year-old in Van Vliet, should embrace, get the opportunity to establish a good, professional, tough, dependable basketball culture for a team that is literally turning the page 
from a teardown into a legitimate rebuild. I think Rocket fans are going to be pleasantly surprised with the product they see on the court with these two guys helping lead the way. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Udoka because there's also this panic about his shot selection. And my reaction to that is, wasn't everybody so excited about the accountability Udoka would bring? Well, what happened? Look, if he's chucking dumb shots, Udoka will yank him for Tari or Jay Sean or whoever. That's who Udoka is. And I mean, I got a lot of respect for coach Taylor Jenkins. You mentioned him. He's done a fantastic job with that team. But Sean, you can't tell me that a guy who looks at as much film as Dylan Brooks can't be coached up to take better shots. He wants to be great. This is not some guy that's just some jerk off or something like that. No, I don't I don't think so either. I also think it's what he was being asked to do in Memphis that has a lot to do with his style of play versus what's going to be asked of him here in Houston. Look, there's going to be growing pains. It may not look pretty right off the bat. Preseason isn't enough time to, you know, sort all of those things out. That's why you have an 82 game season. You learn a lot about yourselves throughout the course of the year. And I think at the end of the day, the accountability factor that Yudoka brings as uh, you know, look at championship level head coach. There's no doubt about that. With great expectation, with great demands of his players, can Dylan Brooks um, sort of, I don't want to say fall in line, but adhere to those different sorts of types of demands from maybe a more demanding coach in Ime Adoka than a Taylor Jenkins. The culture fit for the player, just as much as we talk about the culture for the team improving, it's going to be a, maybe a little bit of a culture shock for a guy like Dylan Brooks, and it's TBD, but I think he's still young enough, impressionable enough, and look, I appreciate any young athlete, especially basketball player, that is such a student of the game and his craft to improve constantly game by game by game as Brooks. I agree with you. I think he'll figure it out. It's There just may be a little bit more growing up to do on behalf of Darren Brooks, but uh, Dylan Brooks, but what I do like, and I think this part's TBD. I alluded to this earlier in my opening remarks is the Rockets aren't done building this team yet. And I think, you know, they officially announced their staff today. They've got a lot of coaches that have been a part of a lot of very successful basketball teams in this league. They've been around it all. They've seen it all. They've handled it all. They can help reel these guys in and put these veterans in position to help these young guys be better players, be better teammates. I ain't looking for choir boys. I'm looking for basketball players, good teammates, guys that are going to be ferocious, tenacious, tough. Everything that the Rockets have not been, that these young players don't know how to be yet at this level without being a hothead, which is where I think Dylan Brooks needs some help still, but controlling themselves, not getting away from their game, I think all that works together. I think some of those key pieces don't exist on this Rockets team yet, but Jeff Green helps a lot. Fred Van Vliet helps a ton. And guys like Lawndale coming from overseas, seeing the NBA, working with Popovich as a player, now coming to a young team, there's a lot of really good ingredients with this Rockets squad. Yeah, and a, a couple of things that we found out since I talked with Frank a couple of days ago. Me and Frank were very disappointed, let's just say, with the fact that the Rockets just not just gave away Garuba 
and Ty Ty Washington. And I don't think Garuba was ever going to be a rotation NBA player because of his offensive skills. But our concern was you had to give up guys that you just gave first round picks. You picked him in the first round. You gave second round picks just to get rid of them. But it looks like that was all part of a multi-team trade based on them getting Brooke Lopez. Now, unless the Rockets come up with something in the next few days, and it's still possible because I don't think that trade is official, that they could maybe tie this into a Clint Capella trade and bring him in as the big that's going to provide some defense from the Hawks because that trade was with the Hawks. But we've heard nothing about it so far as you and I are sitting here talking. And they need to come up with something good because you just gave away two guys for second-round picks. And even if you get somebody else in the door, I mean, I just don't see why you had to give a second-round pick to get rid of Ty Ty Washington that was unanimous by all the – everybody that I read, yes, last year, a first-round pick and a guy – that you didn't even give a shot last year when you could have because instead you were playing Dacian Knicks, who was one of the worst NBA players I've ever seen in my life. So that's the only concern. It just seemed like we we were driving with a rookie general manager that didn't have plan D, E, and F on the board when plan C, A, B, and C fell through. And, yeah. and that's my concern. Uh, it's really good points and a good thought theory. Um... Boy, damn Dacian Nix, right? He made me feel like a damn fool for even wanting to give him a chance this last season because <laughs> I thought he was going to improve uh, from last year to this past season. So much for that, right? Ty Ty, we were all excited when the Rockets got Ty Ty. You know, we thought he's going to be a good young piece, uh, be here for a little bit, have a chance to develop. I think he could be a good player in, in the league. Uh, I agree with you on Garuba. Uh, as far as the longer play here, it's a possibility, I guess, right? Because if you look at Jock Lawndale's contract, only having that one year guaranteed, you're not going to sell me on the idea that the Rockets believe he's going to be the lone backup to push Alperin Sagoon, right? Who is not relinquishing that starter role that he took over last year. Um, so I think if the Rockets can get a good defensive veteran, I would – if we're talking about exploring guys that we've already been there, done that with, if there's anybody amongst the Pat Beverly's, the James Harden's that I'm going to ride and die with, it would be a guy like Clint Capella. If they could nab him, I'd take that all day. Uh, still very productive offensively. Obviously, we know what he could do in the pick and roll. I mean, could you imagine that with Van Vliet running the show there and have uh, you know, Green or KPJ on the floor with them as well. Maybe a Eason. Oh, my goodness. That would be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be Capella or not. I don't know how much he would cost. I don't know if the Rockets have the room for that. Uh, uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. They, they still have, I want to say, $13 million about, left. Yeah. And, and, there's, and he's making 20 You could take Jayshon Tate, who's making about eight, and and, and send him to Atlanta and make that work, I believe. I don't I don't know if there's any other connecting pieces to that, but but there is money which tells me that they're probably not done. I think they I think they might spend that. If not, they could wait and and if in a couple of months if something else shakes loose or something like that. But to me, he's the easiest, you know, and the most obvious candidate of, of anybody that I could think of. Tate's a good pull. 
that that would make that would help it make sense financially. Um, you know, whether or not Atlanta wants him would take him, you know, remains to be seen. But there is that little log jam. Um, you know, it's small forward, you know, or Brooks, Easton, Whitmore. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess that would be it. I mean, you got three guys at the at, at the uh at the three there. Yeah, so, Port, even Porter can play some three. I, I assume he's gonna be mostly backing up one, two, and that's a whole other story, how much he's going to play and, yeah. and, and where he's going to play because you also have Amen Thompson, Amon, Amon Thompson at the one, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, KPJ's a thought. I, I still think you, you could make it with those three. And, you know, who knows? I mean, we mentioned this. You know, I can still have some other roster spots to fill. Maybe that's a three um, if, in fact, they're able to unload Tate uh, and complete a, a much longer play deal for a backup center. Um, we'll see, we'll see. I like, I like where your head's at though. Um, if you stopped today though, if you stopped today and you just look at Fred Van Vliet, Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, Jabari Smith, Alperin Shagoon, there's your starting five. I'm really feeling pretty damn good about the depth as well with Amen. I'm going to call him Amen. I know it's Amen, but I'm going to call him Amen because I like saying it better. I'm going to call, I like Amen Thompson. I like KPJ. I like Tari Eason. Man, give me a good, give me a good five, a good veteran five. Brooke Lopez, dang it, you know, give me somebody like that that you could run a really strong second unit with. And I'm really liking this Rockets team. We might get to this. Teams do it all the time, Robert. I'm anticipating significant improvement in the win column for the Rockets this year. 15 to 20 games. Do you think that's crazy at this point in time with no. the roster as early at, you know, as it's constructed? No, I think the difference between Silas and Udoka without making any moves was at least 10 to 15 games. And now they made a couple of, you know, really good moves that I, you know, I, I, I feel like it's definitely possible. And really, you know, Udoka, I mean, there's just so many different things that he's going to be doing that Silas uh, yeah, it's realistic for sure. I I asked you because I'm a dork. I went back and I looked historically over the course of the last 22 years. 14 times in the last 20 years, an NBA team has increased their winning percentage from one year to the next by at least 26%, by at least 26%. That translates to about 21, 22 wins. Rockets finished 22 and 60 this past season. If they increase their winning percentage, by at least 26%, 21 wins, let's call it. That's 43 wins. You're talking about a 9-10 spot, easy if the Western Conference stays status quo, maybe even regresses a little bit. Uh, the last two teams in the West this play uh, this year were OKC and New Orleans at a 488 winning percentage and a 512. So I, I like the Rockets' chances there, but I looked a little bit deeper into this. How many times did you say this season that the Rockets – Damn, they should have had that game. Damn, they could have pulled that game out if they would have just done this, that, or the other thing. They lost 11 games by six points or less. They lost by, like, 15 games by 10 points or less. They had opportunities. Young teams don't know how to win those games. Teams with good veteran leadership, they can steal games. They can go win you games. They know how to win those close games more times than not. I just think the Rockets are going to have the opportunity this season to do all of those things. And that's why I feel like a 15 to 20 game improvement for, with this roster right now is pretty darn fair. 
maybe I could hear the argument, depending on what the other, what are some other moves they do, the three roster spots they have to fill, if they get a really good backup center like a Capella, I could hear the argument for maybe it being a little too conservative. If you increase your winning percentage by at least 26%, that would only put you in the top 25 of best turnarounds all time in the NBA. I think the Rockets could be in that conversation of at least 26% this next season. Yeah, 26%. I would think that's like a fourth. And if you had 22 wins, how many did you say? 26% of 22 wins? 21 or 22 wins. 21 or 22 wins. Mm Mm-hmm. But is it 20, if you're increasing your winning percentage by 26% from 21 or 22, is it that only like five or six more wins? Or my, my math is off, I guess. Uh, it's the winning percentage um, out of 82 games. It's the increase in win percentage. Oh, okay. I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not expecting 40 wins, but I would hope at least 35. Maybe they can get up to 40 at that case. They, they're they're going to be in the conversation for a play it, it gets you in the conversation, and that's why I look at those close games that the Rockets lost because, you know, you could make the argument on paper, hey, they might have played teams a little bit closer than anticipated, but how many of those games did they lose? Not that they were expected to win, but they were in position to win. How many times do we see this team just fall apart in the fourth quarter? Yeah, because of their youth, yeah you know? but I, I didn't – it's not like they lost a bunch of buzzer beaters. No. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't that close, so – you know, we'll we'll see, but yeah, it, it's going to be a lot different. Let's let's get to the Astros because God, some major stuff we got to talk about. They went three or four over the Rangers. They blow an eight run lead and still win twelve to eleven Monday. And Sean, maybe I put Jose Abreu in an old folks' home just a little bit early. God, I screwed that one up. Who didn't? <laughs> we all did. Um, and it's not our fault. It's nobody's fault. It's his fault. He did something this year that he's not done in his entire major league career. Sure, he started slow before the first month, month and a half, two months of the season. That's happened. But a slow start for him has been, you know, in six homer month with a batting average of about 250. Dude was batting 215 for the first couple months of this season before he decided to turn it on. Over the course of the last 21 ball games for Abreu, just around the time that Jordan Alvarez went out uh, with his latest oblique injury, um, he's hitting well above 300. Before today's game, he was hitting 308. OPS was around 950. And I'll include the home run and RBI totals from today. So the last 22 games, he's got six homers and 21 RBIs. That's the Jose Abreu that we were excited about when the Astros Jeff Bagwell signed him this offseason. What happens from the month of June on to Jose Abreu historically in a major league season? He gets better. And then on top of that, he gets better. And then on top of that, he gets better. So it's trending upward for Jose Abreu, I'd say. It was a much slower start from a data standpoint for Abreu But for whatever reason, the month of June hits and the guy picks it up. If you get this Jose Abreu for the rest of the season, Dana Brown might want to rethink his comments from a couple of weeks ago talking about needing to go find a bat. I think you eke out a game like this, 12 to 11, blow an eight-run lead. You get the start that you did from Christian Javier, which is his fourth poor outing of giving up at least four earned runs in his last five starts. You need to be in the market for a starting pitcher. And I think really, for that matter, you need to be in the market for 
a really good pitcher in the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, let me. I'm going to get to the pitching in just a second. But Sean, there was a an old question back in my day, back in the old days, and the question was, who's the only guy who can hold Michael Jordan to under 20 points per game? Vernon. No, the answer was Dean Smith, the North Carolina coach, <laughs> his college coach. And that yeah. leads me to who is the only guy who can hold Chaz McCormick from making one clutch play after another? And the answer, Sean, is who is that guy? Dusty Baker, I know. But why do you say that? Why is that a thing? Chaz McCormick has been in the lineup more times than not. He doesn't play every single day. Should he be the everyday starting center fielder for this Astros ball club? Yes. The answer is a resounding yes. I'll give that to you. That's easy. Now, you know, like who's responsible for helping you win your second World Series? Chaz, with one of the more iconic catches you'll see in postseason history, certainly for the Astros last year. But who's been responsible for getting you two wins in not arguably the biggest series of this season? and making some terrific defensive plays. Chaz, he's taking care of business at the plate. He's taking care of business in the field. And for all the crap that we're talking about, Dusty Baker hating Chaz, I haven't heard one single solitary word from Chaz about that topic. I haven't seen one ridiculous tweet IG story from Chaz on that topic. He's put his head down. He's taking care of business. And for a guy that had any room to talk crap, it's certainly Chaz hasn't. He's just balling every single day. The, the fear that I have, and please talk me off this ledge, but the fear that I have is as much as I think the Astros need a legit number two, number three starting pitcher on this staff right now because you can't trust Christian Javier until he's fixed. And you don't have Jose Urquidy back. And, you know, I love me some Hunter Brown, but even he struggled the last two starts even though he's one of the best rookie pitchers in all of baseball this year, you need that guy to go get that guy. It might cost you a Chaz McCormick. Yeah. And okay. So that leads me to my next thing. And by the way, Chaz, I'll give you another, I'll give you a, a really good stat from Chaz. Uh, the percentage of diving catches Chaz doesn't make zero percent. He always makes the diving catch. And you said, Chaz, you know, he's playing all the time. He would play it all the time early in the season. No. He didn't start the first two games of the season, if I remember correctly. Um, it's basically right. been a three-way platoon between him, Jokes, and Jake Myers until Jordan goes down and all that stuff. And when the Astros couldn't hit early in the season, Chaz should have been playing. And one of the most impressive things that I, I think about Chaz is every single year, he's gotten better. He's gotten better as a hitter. He's now got an 822 OPS as you and I are sitting here. I'm not saying he could keep that up, but it's over 100 points more than Jake Byers and Corey Jolk. So let's just let remember that. But I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Sean. But the Astros World Series hopes, I feel like they died today, Monday, July the 3rd, because the Astros had to sit down Christian Javier, hoping that he got his fastball back. And they sat him down. But even with a little rest, he got shelled. Something is not right with his arm. And frankly, you're not getting to the World Series with Fromber, Hunter Brown, 
and they've got three or four rookies. And it's not like, Sean, they've got all of this trade capital to go out and get. We, we might not just need one, you know, great starting pitcher. We we probably need two, unless you're hoping Jose or Keedy, it can come in and at least be the force. I mean, you got all these rookies that you're playing right now. And what happens to rookies in October because they haven't played a lot? They start to get worse. But the problem is that these rookies are guys that, you know, they're okay, but they're not ready for October. I'm, I'm sorry, but I like J.P. France. I don't think he's ready for October yet. I don't think he has the control. I don't think Rondell Blanco has the control to be ready for October. No I, no. I just feel like it's, I feel like, I mean, it's just not realistic for them to, to get to the World Series this year. It's not, well, I mean, I'm just not going to go that far. I mean, they're three games back of the Rangers. They're in the wild card mix. They're playing better baseball. The bats are coming alive. The pitching is what has gotten them to this point. They've got nine rookie starting pitchers that have made appearances for them this year. Nine. And that's 32 starts from rookie pitchers this season. Third in the majors behind Oakland and Cleveland. There's a reason why they lead all of baseball in team ERA. There's a reason why, you know, they're third amongst all of Major League Baseball in starting pitcher ERA, at least going into today. Uh, thanks, Christian. But I agree with you. You cannot rely upon all of these young guys to get you to a place that, you know, veterans take over. Jeremy Pena. You, you wouldn't have said last year that this guy is more than equipped to carry this team at various points in the postseason. But you know what? The sucker did. ALCS MVP, World Series MVP. He was huge for him. But he also had veterans behind him, okay? You got eight other ones when you're playing, in, seven other ones when you're playing in the field, right? And Jordan picked him up. Bregman picked him up. Tucker picked him up. When you're starting pitcher and you're on that mound, you're on that island, and you have this bullpen right now, which has plenty of question marks in it. I don't know how many of them you'd trust outside of Presley, really, um, at this point in time, because they're all getting touched up, banged up, used up. It's a tough ask. And I'm not asking Renell Blanco, J.P. France, even a Hunter Brown at this point in time, Brandon Bielak, Parker Mashinsky. I'm not asking any of those guys to go pitch meaningful innings for a ball club that is trying to win a World Series. They didn't ask Hunter Brown to do that last year, and he was probably more than capable of doing it. But he still counted as a rookie, and he's put up some sparkling numbers this year. But look at the growing pains that he's going through right now. Two out of his last three starts haven't been stellar. They've been bad. He struggled to get deep into a game in the middling part of the game. So, And he's a, he's a rookie that has never pitched a full season. And you're not right. just asking ah. him to pitch a full season. You're asking him to pitch a full season and an extra month right. after, you know, and basically it's a lot of, it's a lot of innings, not just this, this year, but you got to look at the full past 13 months. Cause he also pitched in November last year. Sure. And you know, last, last three years, he's looked at a hundred innings and this is in and around abouts, right? hundred innings to 120 combined major league minor league last year he's on pace to get it around 140 ish maybe past that this year what, what you wanted to do with the astro staff at the beginning of the year when you looked at it is give hunter brown two or three starts off in july but because of all the, you can't Couldn't. do that you but, can't do it 
But Dana Brown has said that they're going to look at getting him some rest coming up. How the hell are you going to do that? Especially when Fromber's banged up now with the ankle, but he should be fine. Christian's struggling. Jose Urquidy's not back. And you're constantly having to rotate and rely upon Dubin and Belak and Blanco and, you know, all these guys. How's your arm, Sean? Sean, how's your arm? How's your arm? I I got plenty of left in me, but I don't think they need some 40-year-old slap slinging 75-mile-per-hour fastballs up there. (laughs) I could learn how to throw a knuckleball, but uh, I haven't thrown one that's been effective in quite a while. My point is, there's a trade market out there. What's it going to take to go get a guy like Jordan Montgomery? Um, You know, maybe they don't need one guy, though. They need like four pitchers right now. Well, you give me one top of the rotation guy that can go behind Fromber. And when Christian gets right, if he gets right, and they obviously believe they can get him right. Otherwise, they wouldn't have invested five years, 60 some odd million dollars into him. Although that could yet be another uh, dispute and conversation for a bad contract that we've already had in relation to Montero and Abreu, who has since corrected that, at least over the course of the last uh, month or so. But you go get yourself an arm. Nothing is dead at this point in time um, until you get knocked out. Yeah, the Braves, just, the, the Braves, yeah. The Braves are really good. You know, the Braves are really good. The AL East, who knows who's going to come out of there. There's a there's a lot of pretty damn good teams in baseball right now. If you're the Astros, everything that you've gone, you know, gone through at this point in time, getting in for them ain't good enough. Getting in for us is good enough. Because you know, just a couple of years ago, they were a below 500 team during the COVID year. They got in, made an ALCS run, and stretched it to game seven. I just want this team in because I do believe in those incumbent players. It's not flipping a switch. It's just they've shown time and time again when the heat is on and the stage is the biggest, they rise to the occasion. I just want to get them to that point. Yeah, but they had guys like Javier that were healthy that year. And and, and there was some other guy, But it was just – I don't even count that year. It was such a odd – you know, weird years or whatever. But I I just feel like just, I just disagree that like one pitcher is going to be the big difference this year, because look, the bullpen, it's, this is nowhere near the same. And and let me just, I got some, I just got to say something on, you know, Christian Javier, because I'm not just worried about him this year. You start worrying about a guy like that long-term. You do. If somehow that fastball doesn't come back. And if people haven't looked at his numbers, his strikeouts for nine have gone from 11.6, 11.6 the last two years to 8.1 this year. That's a 33% drop-off. And, Sean, Stephen and I talked a little bit about it last week. The WBC killed the Astros pitching staff. Javier, Urquidy, Garcia, Montero, Brian Abreu has struggled. It's no coincidence especially coming off a season that ended November 6th, the latest in Major League Baseball history. And I keep going back to it because these guys keep going down and keep struggling. I I don't know what else to say, but you can't go from World Series, take three months off or two and a half months off, and then go try to pitch in another World Series without any ramp up. 
It's just, it's, it's dumb. A, it's a part of the equation. There's no question about it. How many pitches does uh, Christian Javier have, by the way? Oh, I don't, I don't think I've got that number in front of me. He's got like two pitches. And the reason why I bring that up and the drop in velocity is Jordan Alvarez said something to said something this weekend that made me side-eye everybody that kind of struggles a little bit here and there. Talking about his oblique injury, he said, you know, he'd had that for a while and tried to hide it. And it got to the point to where he just couldn't hide it anymore. He had to, you know, tell the training staff, hey, this is wrong. They put him on the IL, and here we are. I wonder if Christian Javier has got something going on and he just hasn't said anything to the training staff. It's got to be at this point in time something deeper than just mechanical for a guy that just has two pitches. And I watched him about as closely as you possibly could through the first three innings. And I was doing a show earlier today and I got distracted for the rest of it. But I mean, you're looking for anything and everything in terms of a guy like tipping pitches mechanically does he look the same as what i've seen him before and his placement on the mound is he really just stretching like striding and stretching to get as close to the catcher as he can i haven't been able to pick anything up on it but i'm looking at it on a 30 inch tv screen doing a radio show i don't know i can tell you this the astros have poured over hours of film and if they haven't been able to identify something that sticks out like a sore thumb for a guy that they're paying $64 million to over the course of the next five years. That's a little concerning to me. I have to start questioning, is there something physically going on with Christian Javier at this point in time? I do not like this. I don't, I do not trust this Astros training staff anymore. To me, Javier not getting that bite on his fastball and, and the numbers I thought he should, they should have sat him down for longer, and then I thought they should have taken him down to the minor leagues. And and let's see where you are. Let's see where the fastball is after you sat down for maybe two, maybe even a month. But he's too well, valuable. He's too valuable to be playing games with. We're going to sit him down for a game or two with a guy that's not getting the velocity right now. He is, and you know, uh, I'll I'll actually retract my last statement talking about. Uh, maybe his physical, something physical going on with him. Because I'd like to give Dusty Baker at least a little bit of credit for trying to protect his bullpen. I know a lot of people didn't appreciate Javier trying to get, Baker trying to get Javier through the fifth inning today. I get that. But if you think for a second that there might be something physically wrong with him, you're not trying to overextend him at this stage or at any stage when he's your number two pitcher and you've been decimated as you have, as much as you have from a starting staff standpoint. You're not doing that. That is gross negligence. That is malpractice. And that is a fireable offense. So I don't think it's that. But I do agree with you that you needed to find a way today to sit Javier and give him extra time to figure out what is going on. The fact that you didn't tells me that it absolutely should be in play to do that his next start ahead of the All-Star break. And you give him that time and yourself time to figure out what exactly is going on physically, 
mentally, mechanically, whatever the case is, you have to figure that out because you're inside of a month of Dana Brown being charged with making, you know, big time decisions ahead of the trade deadline. And that in itself could make or break you as a World Series contender this year. Yeah, I'm just flat out to the point. Dana Brown needs to address the fact that the Astros are having a lot of difficulty figuring out timetables on guys, uh, bringing guys back maybe too early. Uh, Lance McCullers, that was the weirdest situation I've ever seen. Exhibit A. This Michael Brantley thing, I don't, you know, it, it, it literally makes no sense between Brantley and McCullers. And then, you know, we see this Javier situation unfold. And like I said, if it's, you're, we know it's velocity. We know it's velocity. And that velocity isn't there. And if you go out and send them out there on a major league mound when the Astros are so careful of, with Jose Altuve, which all that was was a broken hand. You know, there, there's not – if he's going to hurt himself with a broken hand, he could do it just as easily at the major league level. But, you know, when you're, when you're a pitcher, go out. You can take it a little bit easier if you're in, like, Fayetteville than immediately stepping on with all the adrenaline of a major league mound or something like that. It just – I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned at this point about the Astros' uh, medical staff. Yeah, I mean it's it's fair. Um I the velocity thing with Christian Javier, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean it really kind of hasn't been there all season. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So why is it possibly something with the arm slot, you know, is it something uh, you know, with his lower half, is he just not as strong there this year? Is there an ailment that maybe he even doesn't realize is there? Um, I, it could that, be a that, tired arm because, it, again, I keep saying it. I Like, if people are out there listening, tell your friends. The WBC, he got – they finished later than any team in the history of Major League Baseball. Yeah. November the 6th, go find a team that finished later than the Astros did last year. Yeah. And then without a spring training, you're out there pitching for your country's honor in a World Series. You know, it's the World Baseball Club. This is the yeah. Olympics of baseball. And those guys are expected to immediately ramp it up. Sean, in what sport do you not have a ramp-up time? What professional sport? Who goes out there and immediately is facing the time? Do we have a training camp coming up for the Texans? We have preseason for the Rockets. You know, but what we know about baseball, arms, they are the most tenable of everything in in all the sports. We can't figure it out. We're super careful with them. And then all of a sudden, the Astros set up almost their half of their staff. Half of their staff, Brian Abreu, he doesn't look the same. Uh, He was in the World Baseball Classic. Presley was in the World Baseball Classic. He's had some up and down. He's not the same guy as last year, but at least he's been all right. Um, I think Hector Neres, maybe he was in the Baseball Classic. He's been good. But that's it. The other guys, all those other guys that I mentioned, they're not – it's not just – 
oh, they're having a little bit off season. Arcadia's on the disabled list. Uh, Garcia's on the disabled list. Uh, Javier's about to be on the disabled list. Yeah. Montero looks like he's never pitched a baseball game in his life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it, it's a factor. How much of one, I don't know, because all of these guys, their bodies respond differently. But whatever the case may be with a guy like Javier, who you're relying so much upon, whatever it is, you've got to be able to identify it at the very least. And clearly the Astros haven't been able to do that uh, to this point. He hadn't had the swing and miss stuff for much of the season. Um, you know, he had like two games this year s- sprinkled in, you know, maybe the course of four, five, six starts where he had really good strikeout stuff. I think he had 10 strikeouts, 11 strikeouts, eight strikeouts, and a couple of three ball games this year. But in large part, it just hasn't been there to the degree that we've seen before. He doesn't look like the same guy. And I guess you're not when you're going through so many struggles this year. Um, you know, laboring against so many batters, you're not going to look like the same guy. Um, it's just breezing through dudes and pitching seven inning no hitters against the Yankees in the postseason. Like, I get that. There's just something going on. They need to figure it out. But until they do, they have to be in the market for at least one starting arm for this staff. They have to. They've got to keep this thing afloat. They've got a lot of money invested in dudes that aren't performing because of injury and that are underperforming due to who knows. I can't remember an Astros ball club or really a Houston club uh, paying so many guys to not play baseball for them as this Astros ball club is right now. It's crazy. Yeah, maybe we'll have some answers by the time next time you and I talk on Thursday. But uh, until then, everybody have a good July 4th and we'll talk to you uh, in a few days. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.